You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, I'm the Lonely Diplomat, and this is episode 52 of the podcast, and you're about to join Georgie Ryan and me for a conversation about, well, following up from episode two of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, which was dropped back in April 2019, and that episode was all about what Georgie's experience was like living um, her diplomatic life as the accompanying significant other of an Australian diplomat. That episode, um, if you're not new to the um, to, to, to the Lonely Diplomat podcast, you've likely listened to it. Statistically, you've likely listened to it. If you read the blog on thelonelydiplomat.com, you've statistically read her words, uh, which I published back in February 2019. Georgie's words, as I discuss at the end of our conversation, have reverberated around the world and still echo around the world. There's a reason for that. Georgie's wit, her humor, her wisdom, and her deep understanding of what it really is like to be an accompanying significant other. The highs, the lows, the joys, the sorrows, the light, the dark, all the good, all the things that we really wish never happened. Georgie has experienced it and she has a knack for putting it in a way that really leaves you in absolutely no doubt what she's thinking. We all need Georgie or some like the Georgies in our life in our lives. They perform the, um, the vital role of keeping people together and essentially keeping things real. There's so much in this diplomatic life which is really just so bizarrely awesome that people like Georgie remind us that we are human. So in our conversation, we're going to be having a great chat around our kitchen table here in our house in Canberra. And Georgie came over and we put on a pot of tea and we recorded some oral magic for you. In this episode, we'll be talking about her career, uh, the uh, like a, the, the varied career that she has and sort of where decisions that she took uh, in um, parts of her diplomatic life have led her to be where she is today and how she is today. We'll also have a chat. You'll, you'll be joining us for a chat about a decision point, a decision point where she realized that she wasn't doing okay while on a posting and the bravery and the courage that it took for her to actually do something um, about that. And so for you, listener, if you do find yourself right now sitting in a room, somewhere in a house, in an apartment, somewhere around the world, and your significant other who is a diplomat is at work, and you are feeling isolated, if you are feeling alone, if you're feeling lonely, if you're not really quite sure what you're feeling, please listen to this and know that there is help and support right here for you through thelonelydiplomat.com. All right. This is far longer than I wanted to do this, but I wanted to just set the scene for you a little bit because the conversation with Georgie will just it will make you want to come to my place and have a cup of tea the next time Georgie comes around, which is entirely the point. Enjoy, and I'll speak to you again on the other side of our conversation with Georgie. Georgie Ryan, welcome back to the Lonely Diplomat podcast. It's, you know, you're here at the kitchen table. 
I am here at the kitchen table. Thank you for, for having me back. Um, it's actually nice to be looking at you as opposed to last time when you were across the Tasman Sea. That's right. And, and I was sitting on my bed talking. That was probably, you. I have to say, an appropriate distance for us. I think it was. I think it was probably safer that it was conducted <laughs> at a distance uh, because I think it was your second podcast. Mm. Um and it was an absolute thrill to be the second of your now 150... Am I 152nd or something your, now? Your 52nd... Oh, I'm 52nd, sorry. ...of the, the Lonely Diplomat right. podcast. But right. the loneliness guy, that's mm. like there's there's like... Uh, a billion of them. There's, there's, you know, up into like 65 right, of them okay. now. So, so you've so almost done 150. Yeah. Um, but it's an absolute pleasure to be looking at you. Um, and trying not to hold the mic too far away because last time we spoke, I was on the phone. Exactly. And, and it, it, you're right. It is a pleasure to be looking at me uh, <laughs> as, as much as it is just a pleasure to be looking at you. Mm, this is I the second gorgeous. ever mm. time mm. that I've had a chat live with someone for the really? podcast. Yeah, everyone and everything else. Like I was doing Zoom before Zoom was cool and right. then we all got sick of Zoom. Yeah. Um, or depending on where you are, like Zoom is forbidden. Mm. Um, mm. And so, yeah, like this is, I, I like, you know, we've known each other for far for, too long. Jeez, I'm trying to think. 17 years, 16 years? I don't know. I've I don't forgotten know. Because I'm older than you. I'm older than everybody in the world, I think. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have known each other for a dreadfully long time. And it's um, rather lovely to be perched at your kitchen table it is and i have to say um listener joining us on the kitchen table um well in 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 our yard here in in canberra uh an assortment of bird life um the street sounds it's warm this afternoon so the windows are open otherwise we'd we'd sort of get very toasty And so, you know, I'm just going to say fair warning. You'll probably be hearing some school buses going past. You'll hear cars going past because it's getting to school pickup time. Mm. And literally, we are sitting over our, you know, our our our, um, our kitchen table and we're enjoying a pot of tea. Mm. Uh, Georgie's just pouring me another one. Um, and when, when we were going to, like, we'll jump into the real stuff anyway, but I'm just setting a scene here. Um, we initially, when I said, you know, do you want to do round two? Mm. And you were like, oh, hell yeah. Mm. Um, and Talk we, about my favourite subject, me. <laughs> we were going to do this over a glass of red wine. We were. But yeah. you don't want to see me drunk. No, look, actually, you do. Because uh, it's have. very entertaining and you have. <laughs> but I have to say, one of the things about the diplomatic spouse life that I've learned is to how to be a considered um, consumer of that alcohol right because as many people will tell you there's the expectation that oh my god you go to all these cocktail parties and you know Mm. you know wandering around being all ridiculous and pretentious some (laughs) yes but generally not true Mm -hmm. and when i hosted a myriad of these functions because the way to a successful bilateral relationship is through the bottom of a bottle of gin um it um um I would, you know, you would always have, you know, half past five to half past seven, and that would be the official time. And I knew how to, like, have a glass of champagne, then back it up with a 
glass of water, then have a glass of champagne, then back it up with a glass of water. So you were really pacing yourself. And then, of course, when all the posh official people left, you'd basically crack open the bar and go free for all. And it would continue on for like several hours because your mates were there. Yeah. So I'm a very considered consumer of alcohol thanks to my diplomatic drinking well i have to say that that probably you know needs to be a proud boast on your cv it does that i can drink (laughs) diplomatically because as many people know and i have seen it at post before a very sloppy australian diplomat does not look good no and uh and you can be the butt of jokes not that i ever was because as i said previously i'm a very considered drinker of alcohol especially in my own home because i knew where all the good stuff was um yeah you basically learn because i think as we've talked countless times you're on 24 hours a day so you can't even let that slip when you're in the comfort of your own home hosting a boozy multilateral function yeah yeah Uh, you have to still be on yeah yeah ergo you can't get blindingly drunk until all the important people have left and you've put out this aura of how capable you are and it's like fine and <laughs> smack open the whiskey and get really drunk because it's been a hell of a week and this relationship is taking you months and months and months and months to build and then you finally get the chance to really crack it open and you do because of this fantastic reception all these people that you've invited and everybody loves everybody else and you feel like celebrating because you've actually achieved a network you've been busting your ass for for like the past couple of months to try and build yeah it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship and then you also know that you have to go back to the duty-free store and buy more <laughs> alcohol well you know I, and and i think that's a uniquely diplomatic um conundrum perhaps because you know it's always important to know like where the best where the best deals are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and, and to to make things happen i don't know about you now Mm. though but now that i'm back in australia Mm. um and it's far more expensive like Mm. booze here is a lot more expensive Mm -hmm. um I, i found myself like i need to be more of a considered um uh, uh, consumer mm. of caffeinated products. Yes. Like, um, I do like my coffee. I do like mm, my tea. Yeah. Um, but now, like, there's most definitely a cap and, and I'm not okay with this aspect of ageing. Yeah. Um, well, noting that I'm, what, 10 years older than you? I'm 54. Mm. Um, the caffeine slash alcohol-related impacts on my body are starting to become noticeable meaning that um you know i was god i was talking to a mate last week in my graduate year in the defense department in 1990 we would go out until three or four o'clock in the morning during the week club as mara for those of you in canberra it's a very great canberra institution right nightclub african stuff You'd get home, hop into bed for literally a couple of hours, get up, bus into work, you'd have a two-litre bowl of Coke on your desk, banging that backwards, and you were fine. I literally have, like, a bowl of wine, and I'm history. It's just like, oh, my God, and then the caffeine. We will not talk about the impact that caffeine is having on my aged, menopause-ridden body. Um, but it's not good. And um, But then the thing is, too, I'm finding, again, my relationship with alcohol has always been near and dear because I enjoy good 
wine mm. and good gin. Mm. But I'm finding now I don't drink nearly as much as I used to, A, because I'm not, you know, hosting multilateral functions at my house for 60 people. Um, and also COVID, but we don't count that because COVID <laughs> doesn't count for alcohol count. Yep. Um, consumption. But I like good wine. Mm. So I drink good stuff now. And I look back at younger days, as I'm sure that you do, when you just used to drink whatever you could get your hands on. But yeah. now it's no, 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 no. I, am, I will only drink good stuff. Yeah. Because I'm old and I've earned it. You, yeah, you've earned the right to be discerning. Absolutely. And I'm discerning about very many things, including my friends. So while I'm at this table, I'll never know. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is a mystery that I'm sure the listener can uh, can, can maybe answer. Mm. But, Georgie, I want to run a couple of numbers past you. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, like, I, I did this. I listened back to the episode two, mm-hmm. which, listener, my first ever interview. And I don't know if you have a podcast, listener, but if you do ever have a podcast and you go back to listen to your early material. <laughs> you sound like a dog. Just- <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember. I was in bed doing it, actually. <laughs> From memory. You sounded great. I yeah. sounded like I was a year nine student doing a media project. Yeah, because um, you probably were. Because I was. <laughs> um, and and I was like, oh, my God, can I sound any more like – it just felt really unnatural and, mm. and stuff. Mm. And it was – I remember, like, I, I, I this was April 2019 was when the episode yes, came out. Yes, because I wrote the thing in the Feb. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I started the podcast – uh, in March t- uh, 2019, you were the second episode. It was uh, the episode dropped early April, and uh, I remember like it's so much better now. It's so much easier now. Like I just mm. sort of I can do this now very very easily, and I'm sure mm. the listener you know has has you know noticed the evolution of mm. of this. However, like the very first thing I was like, you know, there's all these things. It's like, got to remember this, got to remember that, got to remember, don't do this, don't say that. And of mm. course, saying, thinking that you end up sort of doing it anyway. Mm. And you're just like, oh my God, and and stuff. And and so it sounded like I was reading like a hostage, like, <laughs> like you know, the script, like the, 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 the my, my captors wanted me to read, um, which that's a terrible thing to say, but I was just like, it just seemed so stilted and, yep. and inauthentic. So, I'm and just, um, I'm, I know you. My hair. Yeah, it's like you, you're making yourself as had as you need to right at home. Tied back, and now I'm untying it because it's all a bit tight, and my head's a bit probby. And I know that Phil's desperate to gaze at my absolute complete at the loveliness locks. at the locks. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I think I am blushing, um, but. The thing mm. is, mm. one of the um, I, like we launched straight into this because I forgot mm. Mm. that the rest of the world doesn't know you no. as well as we know each other. Mm. Um, so I'm going to ask mm. Georgie Ryan, mm. who are you? Who am I? Um, I'm asked that question multiple times a day. Um, I was born and raised in country Victoria. Yep. Uh, middle child of two teaching parents. Middle child, shock, gasp, horror, the attention-seeking one. Um, father was a primary school teacher. Mother was a PE teacher until she blew her knee out and had to become a librarian. Um, I was born in Warrnambool on the beautiful South Victorian coast. Um, and then I grew up in the Goulburn 
Valley, which is currently under freaking water. Yeah. Except for where I live, a very small town called Tatura. Um, my father taught at the local school. My mother uh, taught at Shepparton High. Um, I'm the middle of three, old sister, younger brother. Um, my older sister has led a life similar to mine, except she married a businessman who spent a large part of his life working around the world. So she did the sensible thing and married someone who made a crap ton of cash because he worked yep. private sector and they travelled the world as well to some less salubrious places. So I'm quite happy with the way that my lot turned out. My my brother's been in Melbourne for the past 25, 30 years. Um, and I went to the University of Melbourne, the same mm. as uh, you did. I lived at Newman College, the same as you did, only 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I came up to Canberra in 1990 when I joined the Defence Department graduate program. Had no idea how that happened, still don't know. Honestly, I joined with people who had PhDs and masters, and I've just got a plain old H3 <laughs> com- comparative communism stuff from Melbourne University and somehow I got uh, recruited to join and I met my um, husband at a party actually hosted by the current Secretary of the Department of Defence, bless his heart, it's <laughs> his fault um, and um, and then it was then that we met, um, he then jumped from defence to immigration and that's when his access to postings happened. So. Um, I was sort of, you know, basically, I didn't resign myself to a posting life, but it just so happened it became an option for my um, partner at the time. And it didn't really register with me because I always thought that DFAT was the only option. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, for, for, for posting Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade was mm. the only option. And I'd actually put them down. No, I don't think I put them down as a graduate program option because I only had a very basic three-year degree and not a big special master's or something. Um, And then it was through that relationship that he got his first posting to Hong Kong. Interestingly, scheduled for 1992, Mm -hmm. but they axed the job he was supposed to go into so we had to wait until 1994 and that was possibly the longest time anybody in the department of immigration had to wait for a posting but of course it turned out to be really good because it meant that we were there for the handover and all that stuff so through my relationship with him um i did postings to hong kong ottawa i had my first child in hong kong literally a two-year break went to ottawa came back uh five-year break I had my second child mm-hmm. um, and then we went to Ankara in Turkey and then literally two years to the day we went to Pretoria in South Africa and in that time um, I joined defense when I came back from Hong Kong I went into the defense intelligence organization which is very very interesting then we got crash posted to Ottawa and it was there I did my postgrad in event management, which opened many, many doors for me. Because mm. I think, as we've discussed, being a spouse, your options are often very limited depending on what country you um, go, go to. I couldn't work in 
Canada or else I would lose my diplomatic status. I mean, I could work for another country's mission, but that just didn't, you know, happen. And so I ended up being self-employed, which somehow managed to get me around. I don't know how it, how it um, worked, but... yeah. I was an event management consultant. I worked for the Canadian Governor General and I did all sorts of conferences and stuff. And then um, I came back and worked uh, the Office of the Status of Women in Prime Minister and Cabinet to do a big conference. But, of course, I fell pregnant how that happened. But anyway, um, and so it was during mat leave with my second that I then started to think about what the hell am I going to do? This, this was 2000 and three and because i had two posts in that period my career had kind of stopped yeah um because i was 26 whatever it was when i went to hong kong 28 29 when i went to canada they were kind of peak career years mm. for me and they just stopped they literally stopped and so i came back um with this postgrad in event management, I taught my class. You know, I had offers for jobs from all sorts of people, but of course, I a I couldn't take them, and b um, we ended up. You know, of course, we were coming back. So I then, um, so you know, it was the slow grind of trying to re-establish myself after, of course, having had a second child, which put a whole kibosh on the whole going back to work properly thing. But it was then. Uh, 2005, I ended up in the Department of Immigration yep. where my um, husband worked. And um, and so I stayed there until last year, actually. Um, it was helpful working for the same department that he got posted with. But then again, it was still, you know, six and a half years chunk out of my career. So, you know, I was still at times employed by them, yeah. but it's not the same. No, no. And, um, and so um, I am a long-time public servant, like many people in this um, wonderful city. I am obsessed with cooking. I'm obsessed with food. I'm obsessed with World War II history, particularly the history of the invasion of the Eastern Front. It's a very sexy topic. Just ask me about it. Yeah, no. Um, listener, interest <laughs> is, she's being very, very, very understated there. Yeah. Like, obsession. Yeah, uh, an obsession with World War II <laughs> history and uh, the invasion of the Eastern Front. Um, and art. I have a very big thing for provocative political art. Mm -hmm. I collect it. Um, can verify. I can yes. verify that. Um, but yeah, it's for me, cooking and food has been my absolute obsession and it's been kind of fed by postings, being yep. able to travel to parts of the world where just the, the cooking is, you know, very entrenched in the culture and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, and I, I'm not terribly physically active because I keep having to have surgery on various... Shoulders and hands and knees and stuff. So I'm a bit of a busted ass old uh, gal, but um, yeah. So yeah, I'm a. I'm very loud. I'm very. <laughs> I wasn't called demanding. What was I called? I wasn't told I'm demanding. I was told I'm very forthright. No, I'm all for forthright. I'm very forthright. I'm very um, demanding. I don't suffer fools. Um, I like 
to live the hardest I can every single day. I, yeah, like none of this, none of this. I mean, it's not a surprise to me. No, it's not a surprise Uh, to you. But but it's, um, and I think people are quite surprised by that. I, um, I like stuff. I like knowing stuff. Mm-hmm. Literally, I like to know stuff. and it, The accumulation of wisdom, perhaps? The accumulation of wisdom. Oh, 100% accumulation of wisdom, which has been enhanced as I've matured. Dare I actually say the word matured? But the accumulation of wisdom is something that I have cultivated and held very dear mm-hmm. over these past um decades and it's um and yes someone was actually (laughs) saying to me a couple of days ago it takes a special person to handle (laughs) me (laughs) oh i'm I'm he meant it he meant it in the nicest way i'm triggered by that because like you you don't need handling no no but he said to me (laughs) and i just looked and went what and he said, the thing is, though, don't change no. who, you, yeah. who you are. And no, I no, think no. that's what the message was. Don't, don't ever change to fit what you think someone else wants. And I was actually driving over here and I was thinking, you know, 30... God, our first posting was 1994 and that's what... I can't remember. I can't count. 28 years ago. Something. 28 years ago. Mm, yes. And I've evolved into this hot mess maniac that I that I am today, and I wouldn't change a thing. And that's and that's just it. I'm never going to change myself to be to basically fit with someone's conventional view of me mm, should mm, be. Because mm, mm. I mean, again, people are quite surprised that I do the things. I do because apparently I don't – I'm doing inverted commas here, <laughs> listener, because I'm not like everybody else. Yep. And it's like – and, and I have to say, being a diplomatic spouse has fed that my mm. whole mm. life mm. because convention has driven the way that many spouses behave and act. And with – out doubt every post i've left when they've said the goodbye speech and they've said yeah congratulations <laughs> and every head of mission without fail has said <laughs> basically said to me no georgie you're not shy in telling us your opinion or just words to that effect you know, you'll as again as i said to someone a couple of days ago you'll never die wondering what i think and that has come out of a whole lifetime of being a a diplomatic spouse. I had to create a space for myself that didn't meet the convention because I'm not conventional. The thing that's coming up for me, well, first of all, thank God you're not conventional. Mm. The last thing the world needs are more conventions. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second second thing that's coming up for me is the sign-off that I do to every episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast Mm -hmm. is that, you know, like it's essentially the work here is all about the audience, Mm -hmm. you, listener, becoming more awesomely and more humanly you. Mm -hmm. And you've just said it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you are 
um, dare I say, evolving. Mm, I still am. To be more awesomely and humanly mm. you. Mm, absolutely. And that you were doing that, that evolution, I don't want to say started, but continued. You, allow, you allowed it to continue mm. while you were mm. a company, like an, an accompanying significant mm. other. Mm. Um, and I just want to sort of come back to that and really mm. underline it, bold it mm. for the listener, particularly listener if you are. A, an accompanying significant other, you're accompanying your wife, your husband, your partner, um, like however however it is your relationship. Mm. Um, Georgie and I both know how hard it can be to maintain your own identity mm. while um, essentially living in the shadow mm. of your diplomat mm. and your diplomat's employer. Mm. And that's, I have to say, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but being immigration in Hong Kong in the 12 months prior to the handover, mm. when a visa to Australia was like a national sport and I would be talking to him at a reception someone would find out he is a visa man and I would literally get shirt-fronted out of the conversation. Like, I'm talking crash-tackled out of the conversation yeah. so they could speak to him. And I'd be like, he's not going to be okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, um, I mean, let's. Oh, I'm trying to say, I didn't actively choose to take that path of asserting myself because I didn't know any better. I was 26. I didn't have a freaking clue. <laughs> but um, but I think we kind of went into it as a partnership. Yep. Um, and um, But also, too, I am that person that will make themselves available. I will pitch in because it's always like because I like to meet people. And so that was always the thing. But in Hong Kong, I was literally collared for a job and was chased around China until I took it. It was the ship visit job. Oh, yeah. Um, big, and then as I came back and started and they dropped five files on my desk saying there'll be like five ships coming in six weeks, nothing's been done, away you go. <laughs> and look, I actually spoke to the Navy Oral History Project uh, in July, yeah. July, August. Um, this is for the Royal Australian Navy. The yep. Royal Australian Navy, because um, I'm still friends with people who were on the ships that I looked after, which is 28 years, ridiculous. Yep. And um, and I spoke to the boss of the Sea Power Centre and he said, you have got a perspective that we just don't have. Because mm. I was 26, I was a woman. No one does that type of job in 94 in Hong Kong. Yep. So he said, can you please talk to the... History. So I said, yeah, no problem at all. So I ended up having this great two and a half conversation with a retired commander about what I did and how I did it. And I said to him, this is the job that's basically framed the way that I approach work and life. I knew nothing, mm. absolutely nothing 
about what I was supposed to do. Nothing. The files had popped on my desk. I closed it on. I cried for 10 minutes because I'm like, what the hell have I got myself into? Mm. I had one contact in the British Navy. I called him, a guy called uh, Lieutenant Commander JJ Carter, and I called and said, I don't know what I'm like. So he said, come over and talk to me. Fine. Done. Yeah. So I arranged a 1,000 personnel yeah it's incredible and as i've said in job interviews since of course dummy absolutely no good when i try and establish that something i did in 1994 has had such a profound impact on the way that i view work and i view my own ability and how i view the world they kind of look at me like i'm you know a weird robot that something way back then can still be so profound Mm. for me and that's what the whole diplomat spouse thing has been for me. Um, you don't realise at the time because you're just living your life as best you can. Often in a foreign country where you don't speak English and everybody knows that you're a diplomat. <laughs> but that, that, that was a good thing about coming home. You kind of you stop. When you can get to stop, which is very rare mm. when you're at post, when you get to stop and actually reflect, you go, oh, hang on. Like I've said to people in job interviews, I've moved a family around the world four times successfully. Mm. And you don't think I can manage a budget of 100,000 bucks? Okay. Yep. It's, um, it's not until you can step back and actually look and, and then... So you take the lessons from the first post and you apply it to the um, second post. But it's about that. I mean, after the first post, I finally started to see, oh, crap, I have to carve something out for me because I am not the diplomat. I mm. am not the diplomat. Mm. Mm. And Canada was, I think, where I really began to carve my own identity because I was home for the first 12 months and it was dark by three o'clock living in the burbs because it was um a mission in like an english-speaking country you could actually live a really normal life and get involved in like your burb or your kids school or whatever yep just for reference listener that burb is the suburb suburb thank you sorry um and so i lived in a burb where everybody worked so i didn't know half of my Mm. neighbors eventually I did. And when you're hauling your kid through two feet of snow to get to school, no one stops and chats because everyone goes home. So I didn't know anyone. It was soul-destroying. And um, and then people at the mission didn't tend to socialise much because you didn't kind of have to. You didn't have to depend on each other. Yeah. The way you do it, some of the more challenging posts. And so people would disperse and say, oh, okay. Um, and then... Um, I had a time where I was terribly depressed because it was dark, it was three o'clock, it was cold. I didn't know anyone. When it's like three, four feet of snow, you're not going to yep. go outside. The internet was still not that good, but it was still there. And we didn't have WhatsApp and I had to f- buy telephone cards that you could scratch and use like 20 bucks on to call home and whatever. But then I made the decision with financial support for my parents to go back to school the interesting thing about Canada in the late 90s North America in general is that the Australian dollar was being crushed absolutely crushed so 
US was like 62 cents, Canadian was like 75. We didn't have the processes in place back in Australia to keep pays up to date. So we were like at the edge, every single pay. Mm -hmm. And because it was a first world country, we didn't get anything additional. So we were like on one wage having Mm. having had two. So I mean, that's another spouse thing. Often you give up your wage and your income cuts in um, half and there is n- and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but then I went back to school. I did my postgraduate event management, which was magnificent. And so I began to establish my own identity outside that of being the spouse of. Yeah. And that was such a jolt of goodness to my self-esteem because not only did it proved to me that the flying by the seat of my pants event management I've done in the past, I was actually not bad at it. And um, and I worked for the Canadian Governor General doing like an internship and then I ran my own event uh, management consultancy, I did yep. a conference and stuff. But I then began to see, hang on, I can actually frame my life independent of him yeah and whilst i was always very very proud that we were australian diplomats and you're always there to do your thing and your team australia and blah 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 and everything it was just like huh okay right i can i can actually be something bigger i mean not that being a diplomatic spouse isn't a very important job i actually had more scope and more power to do something than i actually thought yeah I had. I think that's incredibly powerful. That's incredible. And listener, I want to just uh, again underline that because that the, the in in the over three what are we twenty twenty two yeah so over the three years since mm. the the uh, blog was published and the podcast mm. and then a couple of other blogs were published and podcast episodes were were done. So looking at um, being a, an accompanying significant other as a child, as a male spouse, uh, same-sex couple, mm. um, and without, without sort of to well, the 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 commonality between all of them was mm. the loss of identity, mm. Mm. and uh, it, it it really is important that um, if you are feeling lost Mm. that you do things listener and it's not necessarily um uh easy it might not ever really be neat and it might not ever be the thing that is meant to have been Mm. done Mm. but my my a lot of my work here at the lonely diplomat is all about saying that you don't have to do it in the way Mm. that you think you're expected to, mm, exactly. and of course there are some there are some limitations. There's some legal framework. Sometimes mm. you can't work, mm. um, as you've mentioned, and you mentioned in in episode two, Georgie. But one of the things there that you know, and 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 listener, there's some content there from my friend Amel Derigi about setting up a portable, mm. uh, a globally portable business. Mm. And now, of course, the impact of COVID yeah. has proved that we can work. Anywhere, you and for a diplomatic anyway. spouse, that is a whole boon because 
for the life of me, it's been like, oh, no, no, you, you can't possibly do a job remotely. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, you can. Well, you can now. Um, well, yeah, you definitely can now. So whilst my time is done, I am absolutely ecstatic that for many spouses, this will mean a whole new opportunity to keep their skills sets up. Yeah. Um, because you can literally do anything remotely now. What 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 I've uh, what I've found um, over the years of living my diplomatic life is uh, you know no that can't be done mm. uh, is often well almost without exception mm. code for I don't want to help you do it mm, exactly and that's, I don't want to do it because that's inconvenient oh because I used to get um um. I did a very short-term mission in Pretoria helping to set up one of the visa application centres. Very short-term, like a couple of months. And at one stage, they almost didn't let me do it because my spouse was head of immigration for the African continent. And so, therefore, I would be in the chain of command. And we had always agreed that that would never happen it's just not appropriate to be mm-hmm. in the chain of command as your spouse and and Canberra was a bit mm, but then we finally worked out how about I actually report directly to someone in um, yeah, Canberra oh, wow yeah. shock yeah. worked it out because yeah. it was just literally bypass him and I'll report to someone in Canberra easy yep. oh my god don't look now but I was working remotely and it, it took a pandemic to make us realise that. I mean, I know someone I'm posting now, um, and he's doing a job, like an actual camera-based job, yep. while on uh, posting with his um, um partner. Yeah, now very common. One one thing I want to come back to, mm-hmm. um, and I want to just share something, some of my experience, and I remember sharing this. Um, and it came up, you know, when you said uh, essentially like uh, you said it in episode two and um, just said it a little while ago, Georgie, mm. about uh, going to a place like Ottawa mm. with many commonalities. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Georgie's pour- pouring a similar More tea, tea now. Um, it's like this elaborate tea ceremony at my place today. Um, and, um, uh, and and when there are when you are living in a place for a few years where there are a lot of, a lot of commonalities between mm-hmm home and where you're posted mm-hmm. um and uh you know this this was as i said discussed in episode two um and i really wanted to say you know subsequent to my experience you know from what was it, april 2019 mm-hmm. or i think late march 2019 when we had the like when we recorded the episode and the episode went live um, I, you know, started doing more of this lonely diplomat work and hello to all the people uh, in um, who work for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade in uh, New Zealand. And I, I'm really very grateful for the opportunity that MFAT provided me um, to support their staff while I was living in, um, in, in Wellington prior to COVID mm. uh, and things just went, you know, up shit creek. Mm. However... One of the things that I remember saying, and it was in it was in the the Marai in um, uh, in MFAT, uh, in this meeting for diplomatic spouses uh, uh, about to go off on posting, and I was sharing my experience of being a an accompanying significant other, like my own personal experience, my mm. own insight as the lonely diplomat, mm. 
And I, I remember saying that, you know, absolutely New Zealanders, you, like there are so many commonalities between mm. Australia and New Zealand. Mm. Like so many, sometimes I forgot yep. which country I was in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but, but there were other things at times that I'm like, oh no, this is really not the same. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I found, and, and just sort of going to your story uh, there, Georgie, about, um, and I'm pointing a pencil at you, <laughs> I'm like, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being very emphatic. One of the, 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 the shares there that you, you said was, you know, you didn't know your neighbours. Mm. And, um, I you did know, eventually, but it eventually, takes time. Eventually, yeah. but it, 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 it takes time. Mm. Mm. And we're time limited mm. we're on, when we're on posting. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I wrote about this subsequent to our conversation and, and your blog post about friends and how, how hard it is, mm. uh, how hard it can be sometimes mm. to make friends mm. locally. Mm. Absolutely. But one of the things, like um, someone in, 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 the, uh, in that meeting on that evening in Wellington back in 2019 in the Marae, and the Marae is um, a Māori meeting house, mm-hmm. um, for those of you not familiar with it. Um, and, and it's a very special place mm-hmm. um, in Māori culture. Um, and the marae like you know someone said oh you know but we we kiwis we new zealanders you know we're so friendly Mm. and i don't know if i was terribly diplomatic Mm. but i said and 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 i I think i was like i don't know if there were any other australians in the room but Mm. but um i i i said um i don't know if that's really true Mm. and there was a gasp mm. around the, the the room, the meeting mm. room, and I said, "Look, without doubt, absolutely, like so friendly, mm. so friendly." Canadians are probably the friendliest people on the planet. Well, reputedly so, and I think mm. you know um, uh, Kiwis, mm. um, and and to an extent, I've mm. noticed this in Australia now. Now that you know Jeff's come back, um, and like Jeff's now living here, mm. and I now get to see. Uh, uh, like Australian society through the mm. eye, like through his eyes and his experience mm. and him asking questions and things. Mm. But what I want to say here is that ever like people are very friendly mm. until you got to get to know someone, mm. and there's there's like the veneer of friendliness, mm. but it takes a lot of time yeah, and a lot of effort, mm. and and that kind of friend relationship um, often. And I found this in in Wellington. Um, uh, and I think this is the kind of place that Wellington is, and many Wellingtonians would would agree with me mm. that the, 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 the friendships are actually formed at school. Yeah, and they I think they're that's maintained through thing. school, and they're maintained yeah. in the workplaces, yeah. like Canberra. Mm. Um, price of, like the cost of living in Wellington is very high. Yeah. you cannot have you know uh, like you can't buy a house and live on one salary so mm. everyone in the house so all like all day mm. all the neighbors except the retirees around me mm. um, would go off to work mm. and then um, you know when when my uh, my then wife and I separated and you know I was trying to meet people mm. um, it was really, hard because you know i had you know family commitments and Mm. couldn't go out at night Mm. and all that kind of stuff however what i want to say is that um and this goes to a point that you 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 talked about really well in episode two and Mm. i want to come back to it Mm -hmm. because and and this is a perfect segue for it 
it's same shit, different country. Absolutely. And that needs to be on bumper stickers. Yeah. Uh, that needs to be the the title for every um, service, every mm. government service that sends people overseas mm. in their preparation mm. for um, uh, significant others to go on posting. Mm, absolutely. I think that's very fair. I mean, the thing that was interesting for me about Canada is that because everybody around me, but I lived in a beautiful, beautiful suburb called mm. Manor Park. Everybody worked except the American wife of a Bank of America executive, yep. Joni. And we met at like a street party and we became really good friends because we were home all day. Yeah. And um and the piss is taken out of Americans quite a bit by the Canadians, but in a very gentle way. So she felt a bit so, so listen of the piss being taken uh, refers to someone being teased. Teased, yeah, mm. and in a in a like fun way, a very very fun way, not yeah. not in a derogatory not in a way. way. And yeah. that was the thing. So it was actually really interesting for me to see an American living in Canada and how they coped. She used to show her children American money so they wouldn't forget what it looked like. And I'm going, are you serious? <laughs> You're like forty five minutes away. Um, and it was just interesting because, of course, people mix up the American and Canadian accents, but I can tell them part a mile away because um, you know, I lived there for three years. Mm. But it, um, it's just interesting. I mean, we're all very similar, but so very, very, very different. So very different. So different. And, and the superficialities of Canada made it, made it manageable. But I mean, culturally, it's not my home. No. And and your French Canadians are different from your English English Canadians, yep. different again from your Indigenous First Nations Canadians. They're three very distinctly different cultures and people and mm, ph mm, philosophies mm. and outlooks on the world. And their and their sense of humour, while very similar to us and very similar to the Brits, it was still a bit like. I would come out with some things and they'd kind of look at me quizzically like, are you being serious? Um, and so it was often the things that were different made it really hard. Yeah. And it's you don't know until you get the quizzical look. Yeah. And, oh, that's and different. Like, I would answer the phone and there'd be silence for 15 seconds and I'm, hello, uh, hello. And the person would go, and I'm like, I'm sorry, who is it? And he's, and the voice would say, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just listening to your uh, to your accent. It's fantastic. I'm like, what? Not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. <laughs> um, and um, and it's and yeah, those going to first world countries on posting is, I think, a lot harder. Yeah. Because you have to work at your support networks. Yeah. And that's why the first year I was so depressed because I didn't know anybody. My kid was at school. It was cold. It was dank. I want to ask you a question because mm. this is the question I was gonna that, mm. that I was leading to. Yeah. Were you lonely? Yes, I was right. lonely, very lonely, because um, how many spouses were there at post? So I don't think there were many spouses either um oh desperately and of course the internet wasn't the 
hardcore piece mm. of communication it is now. Calling home was dreadfully expensive, so you've got to dig pretty um, deep, deep to try and get uh, through. I spent a ridiculous amount of time watching um, the Rosie O'Donnell show backed up with the Martha Stewart show backed up with Maury Povich backed up with Jerry Springer. That was my morning loved it um and it wasn't until um it was just basically a case of i just one day i said i've got to do something about this i've just got to do something and that is again the resilience that's built from i think the first posting um and then just basically you know it's i don't know it's sometimes as you know a switch just flicks in your head and you go, I've got to do something. I can't live like this. Basically, the way that I ended my you know, marriage a couple of years ago. I can't live like this. I have to do something about it. And I've worked out because of many years of postings, I do shit. I make it just shit. And that's what my life as a diplomatic spouse has taught me, how to make a decision. And I will make a decision and I will stick with it and I will do it. If it's a mistake, that's great. I'll do it, learn from it off and you know make a, another decision but i can remember when i said i have got to do something because i don't know anyone you know me i feed off human interaction mm. i need people and i was talking to my mom and i was talking to my husband and i said i've got to do something but i want to go back to school now is a perfect time to go yep. back to school and Algonquin College, shout out to my Algonquin College peeps, um, in um, Ottawa, similar to the Canberra Institute of Tech type of, um, you know, set up. One of the best event management courses in the country, turns out. Oh. Um, I actually applied for it, got in, obviously, and because I'm fabulous. And the thing that was really amazing about it is because <laughs> I was on a diplomatic visa, a semester was one thousand bucks so the right. course cost me two thousand yeah. i paid a semester my mum paid a s- semester because we were absolutely broke yeah if i was an international student thirteen thousand yeah dollars i wouldn't have done it um and that course changed my life it was a sliding door moment right it is like i had to make that choice and I treated it like a job because the contact hours were quite a lot. But no, I'd get up and the kids go to school, and I'd go off to school, and I'd be, and um and and it was life changing in many ways because it showed me that event management is my passion. You know, yep. making shit happen is what I do. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Can attest. Yes. And uh, and I met some people who I'm still deeply, deeply bound to. Mm. And that became my outlet. So I didn't have to be a diplomat. I'd go off and do the diplomat things, but then I had this bunch of people who didn't give a shit that I was a diplomat. Didn't give a shit. Didn't didn't actually know what it meant half the time. But I made dear, deep, long life friends and I had people to do stuff with and go to movies with and go out with. And mm. So it was like my whole life's started yeah finally i had to mm. i had to sit in my oh my god i'm never gonna be in my life it's so cold and oh my god and i hate this we're always broken and then to then just like i'm gonna again woo kind of thing because yep. i just 
made this bunch of incredible friends that are still friends yeah. to this day. I want to I want to really come back to mm. that decision point. Yeah. Because we know now, 20-odd years later. 24, yeah. yeah. Right? 24 years later, how it ended, how it, how it, how it turned out, and yeah. how much of a, a pivotal sliding doors mm. moment. You mm-hmm. know, you it were Gwyneth... You were Gwyneth Paltrow in yeah, you know, the I iconic... Yeah, I wish cash. <laughs> Not her body, though. She can keep that. Um, and and um, uh, uh, the... Which reminds me of a question I want to ask, too, but mm. not not specifically about Gwyneth mm-hmm. Paltrow, but mm-hmm. um, about food. But question... Um, like, we, we, we know how it ends. Like, mm. you can look back and, you know, that's that's in the review mirror of your mm. life and you can mm. go, yeah, that was, that was mm. a moment. Mm. And I, I talk about this a lot on The Loneliness Guy. Mm. But I want to bring it in here. Mm-hmm. And and I want to talk about the concept essentially of rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And I do this all the time. Mm. Like, I'm not immune to the human condition. I'm mm. not like, you know, when I left my job, um, you know, I got to rock bottom. I allowed, mm. I allowed myself to get to rock bottom. I, was, I remember, like, feeling like I was going. And I'm like, mm. I, why? Like, I was pretty much at rock bottom. You, you were. Yeah. You were. And, and so for so many of us... Mm. Like for so many humans, including those who live the diplomatic life, because mm. sometimes we forget that we're subject to the human condition. Mm. Absolutely. Same shit, different country, Absolutely, remember Absolutely, 100%. So one of the things here is that a reminder that you don't have to wait until you hit the rock bottom mm. to, to make changes. Mm. And there was a... a um, uh, however... We, we tend to want to keep on making decisions that go to maintaining the status quo, mm. to not disrupting things. Yeah, I'm a disruptor, <laughs> Especially in diplomacy. But, you know, while, while you know, you are absolutely mm. a disruptor mm. and, you know, I love you for it, mm. um, I am too. Yeah. Um. I recognise, because I am also a disruptor, I recognise how much courage mm. it takes mm. to say, no, mm. not for me, mm. not today, yeah. not anymore. Yeah. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. And that is, I think, the biggest lesson that the diplomatic life has taught me. How's that? How so? Um, is that I think... When faced with convention, and I have a very strong principle streak, which might surprise you, but I'm quite shocked. And and yeah, (laughs) like people are just like shaking their heads, absolutely Um, like surprised. Yes, and um, but it's been for me. I now kind of focus on what actually works for me. I mean, that whole disruptive thing. Look, I have been known to try and liven up diplomatic dinners by telling very, very inappropriate stories about, you know, smelling William Hague's head and stuff like that. But <laughs> And he smelled fantastic, by the way. I said to him, I said to him oh, what's that cologne? He said to me, oh, look, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I did tell him he smelled, he smelled fantastic. And he's a fabulous guy. I love him. Even the, those who are Tory, love the guy. so much fun. Um, but I kind of knew to not disrupt so it would impact on my partner's posting. I never right. did 
as much as I will go, no, not now, not ever, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I was very conscious of making sure I didn't fuck up my partner's posting. I never did anything. No, I might have said things at receptions and said, this is not the view of the Australian government. This is my personal opinion. Mm. But it's kind of taught me to be principled and to hang on to the things that make me me. That's, mm. that's what I really learned. I had to play this role and I was happy to play that role, but that role is not me. Pause. What? That, listener, that is everything. That, that role is not is me. everything. Everything, everything, everything. And I really want you to go back to hit the, you know, go back 15 mm-hmm. seconds, hit it back a couple of times. That, listener, particularly you, diplomat, particularly you, accompanying significant other of a diplomat, who have your identity, like you, you've essentially lost your identity and you've assumed the identity that you have on your business card. Mm. If you, the listener, are a, an accompanying significant other and you introduce yourself to in, in new things saying, hi, my name's Phil and I am the husband of the first secretary at X embassy. Mm. This this is absolutely for you. Mm. Um, I'm not going to you know mince words about this. Mm. Like if you need, you've got some work to do. Mm. Exactly, and I um, it took me a while on my first post. That's what I said. Um, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, everybody would go, oh, my God, can you get me a visa? Um, and then eventually I became known as, you know, that crazy person or that amazing cook. You know, if they invite you to dinner, go, because she's a fantastic cook. Yeah. Um, and and, yes, and it's true. not that I'm not, I'm not unhappy to, be, to have taken on that role. It's not me. As you actually asked me right at the front, who am mm-hmm. I? Yep, very deliberately. Um, I'm a public servant of 32 years, mother of two children who I completely forgot about. One born on the first person, one born no, between the second it. and the third. You mentioned it. Of You're course. okay. You're um, a good mum. So. I have my, my um, husband is now my f- former husband. We're still desperately good friends. Um, I love cooking. I love art. I like being yep. provocative. I'm like I like to write. I'm also writing is one of my passions as well. And you know, and I love a rival joke as the next person. I'm politically incorrect more often than I'm not. And that's who I am. I'm outspoken. I love people, love a chat, I love a conversation, I love exchanging ideas, I like books. I like, and and that's me. Yep. And it just so happened, I think, as we mentioned the First of all, I happened to get dropped into this very interesting situation that I never thought I would. I aspired to be the diplomat. Mm. I'm actually glad I was never the diplomat because I had way more fun than he right. did. Like, so much. Because I didn't have the constraints. I had some yeah, of course. constraints, but I didn't have his constraints of having to deal with Canberra and whatever else. I could basically go off on my merry way and tell 
William Hagee smelt fantastic. I did that working with the Brits by the uh, the way. So, um, if, so if, listeners in 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 London, I'm not quite sure what Mr. Hagee is is up to now. Oh, he's wonderful. Um, but, man. Uh, if you, you ever know, pass him, give him a very good sniff because he like smells great. Take a whiff of his hair and yeah. say that's from Georgie. Oh, his hair is incredibly thin now. He's quite like shiny on top. But this was the. African summer in Johannesburg in June 2015, I think it was. Right. And he's a delight. He's a singular delight. Love the man. Well, I know you know, it's odd for me to say, but to, love to, you know, uh, tell him that Georgie says hi. Says, and, says and, hi. He's a great guy. Love. And he um, smells fantastic. One of the, one of the things here, Georgie, and I'm just keeping an eye on the time, really. Um, and 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 I think you know one um, uh, you know the, the the listener is probably like yelling at the <laughs> at the wireless uh, mm-hmm. like you know we we would do, and and one of the things there that um, you know in all and this this goes to some some content on the loneliness uh, on the lonely diplomat mm-hmm. is about the the connection of the stories mm-hmm. of our lived experience mm-hmm. of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really want to say there, um, and a reminder to to everyone, is that when we do these kind of like these chats and are talking about how William Hague's hair smells amazing, his and head, not his hair, his, his head, his head. Oh. He hasn't got much hair. Well, I'm just like, well, maybe I like just you, went into his neck and went. You need to nice. <laughs> not at all creepy. <laughs> Right, there's now a restraining order uh, <laughs> coming out for you, Georgie, um, from from you know foreign secretaries and foreign ministers the world over. Um, but one of the, one of the things, like in like, obviously, this is how we connect. Mm. This is how we connect those of us who have lived the diplomatic life mm. for a few minutes, mm. all the way through to the majority of our lives. Mm. Um, you know, we we have these stories and we connect over these stories. Mm. Please. Pay attention, like listen to these stories and just kind of like what I did with, with Georgie before when, you know, to, to go back um, and and say, you know, when, when living in the suburbs, as lovely as that suburb may have been, and I'm guessing it's like the Yarralumla of Ottawa. Not quite. Okay. So Yarralumla here in, in Canberra is like where the diplomatic enclave Rock is. Cliff in Ottawa. Uh, I didn't live in Rockcliffe. I lived in Manor Park. Right. Not bad, but not... Um, All Rockcliffe. right. Well, well, you know, mm. it's like comparative, terrible. Mm, yes. Um, and um, so when, you know, you, you're surrounded by, you know, essentially, you know, the, the beautiful trappings and, and, mm. and things, but it in the end, you're human and you're having a human experience mm. that very few other people can relate to. Mm. So generally when Georgie and I get together... Um, and, uh, you know, the, there's, there's lots of, you know, anecdotes being shared and, 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 you know, and it's, it's lovely, it's wonderful and all that kind of stuff. Please remember to pay attention to sometimes like what's said really quickly. This is my tip mm-hmm. to you, listener, pay attention to what's being said really quickly because that, that sort of, yep. You know that this happened. I got sick of it. I was really tired of it. I decided to do something about it. That that is a phrase mm. that gets summarised in the review mirror or like in our in our memoirs as a phrase. Mm. But that phrase was many long dark nights mm. of the soul. Mm. They were lonely times. Mm. 
and I don't want to come I don't invite you to come back to those points and um and dwell on them and live in them mm. and and all of that kind of stuff what I what, what I'm inviting you to do as I just did with Georgie was to own them mm. and and if you don't own them they own you mm. and I think um back to that point I um I when we were in Ankara I probably didn't really have to work because I was living in a category D country or E country or um it's a significant hardship basically hardship you know, yeah. posting and the exchange rate was way in our favor and there was a lot of volunteer work you could do to make friends and all that kind of stuff so so I was actually leading a pretty fun life but then a part of me is like I really actually want to keep my hand in the work mm. sphere just to keep it. and then fortunately I got a job that was in inverted commas working to our boss in Dubai so I could cut my partner out of the picture um, and that was you know fine but w- when we went to Pretoria um, again I was having quite an okay time because there were a couple of spouses who didn't work and I went to Pilates and I made some friends and all that stuff but then a part of me's like you know there's got to be more than this and I'm starting to get a bit you know I wouldn't say depressed but I was starting to feel a little bit I don't think empty is the word but it's actually the word I'm going to use and I um and I was I mean there had to be more and like I didn't want to work full-time because I wasn't there to work I was there to have fun (laughs) because that's what I do um and that's when I ended up working at the British high commission because they heard that there was this spouse who had this event management background in town and um i ended up i actually started working on the achieving scholarship program which is their version of a fulbright yeah which is incredible open doors of interesting you know and i could do a whole podcast on that but then we had some official visits and that's when my background was really pulled into you know clear view because i'd done official visits i'd done international meetings i'd done all that stuff so i looked after prince harry's logistics and i parted how was hagel how did his head his head smell i didn't get that close but i did um he did actually i'm disappointed tell me i did eat his um nuts at a durban hotel I did. I did. I tasted his nuts and bread in my The oyster box, to be exact. Okay, so the story is this. I was the logistics director for his visit to um, Southern Africa, November, December 2015. So I was transport, security, hotel. So I, I had all like, the nuts and bolts. And um, and he look, he's fabulous to work with. Adore the guy. I think he's you know wonderful. And um, I had to go and speak to his valet in his room, Tiff, who's actually a Fijian um, um, a Fijian soldier. And I can remember watching him m- marrying Megan. Yeah. And the car they were being driven in was actually Tiff was actually the driver. Ah. And Graham, one of the protection officers, was in the front seat. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's those guys. I work with them. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, Tiff was hanging up 
Harry's stuff and I had to talk to him about something. I'm kind of lolling around the bed going, oh, this is fun. And then, and then, um, and then the hotel came and probably a table about the size of your kitchen table mm, mm, mm. was putting on dried fruit and nuts and just everything you could think of. And I'm like, holy crap rap this is for like one um guy and i said to him i'm just gonna have to taste them to make sure they're okay <laughs> so i'm just diving in and tasting as many of the prince's nuts as i could possibly fit into my mouth they were all okay <laughs> but i'm just like what an absolute waste because there's all these dried fruit and nuts on like the table and i'm like harry's not gonna come in and like pour buckets of nuts and fruit in his face i just happily had a bit of a pick and then i just made my way um no i but, so, so, so just coming back to that point about um again coming back to that point about having to make a decision um i was actually offered this job and they wanted me to do it full time i said no nah, not going to do it full time i'm here to have some fun yeah this would be good and a mate and the american partner of a new zealand diplomat who's got a background in um and uh consultancy invited me over and she said right we're going to workshop your decision yep (laughs) so she put some butcher's papers up she put some pros and cons we actually lay down on the floor a glass of champagne each and started to workshop the pros and the cons, the pros and the cons of taking this, you know, job. And I basically said, I'm going to have to negotiate half a week. And I ended up doing that because I job shared. Yeah. But then they actually sacked the other guy because he was hopeless. Anyway. Um, and so the pros were, you know, you get to meet people, you get to work for Brits. I mean, the pay was shit. I mean, the cons... South African pay is terrible. Mm. It's terrible. But but I'm like, the pros are I get ridiculous experience. I didn't know Harry was you know, coming, so yeah. that was an, an absolute burn. I didn't know that William Hague was going to be in town, so I had all this experience. And his amazing never smelly had, head. Oh, mm. his head smelled fantastic. Anyway, so it then, again, it comes out, it's that, it's that one moment in time when you go, hmm, getting a bit bored. I have to change this. I'm not fulfilling my potential and i'm not grabbing the opportunities i've got to start to grab the opportunities and that's the thing that really i'm a real advocate about you've got to take your opportunity and if it falls in a heap what have you lost yeah um and so i'm like right made a decision took the job and it ended up being like an absolute whirlwind of mayhem crazy badly paid might i add but I didn't do it for that. No. And um, and I kind of look back at that experience, which again is one of those pivotal um, work experiences in my life when I had like stand-up fights with a couple of royal protection officers about how many cars I should take to and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you? And people are like, oh my God, just, you know, taking them on. And someone said, that's because she's an I always got that. Gives you many, much license. Australian, and I think that's why William Hague let me let me smell his head because I'm Australian. I can get away with it. It was consensual. It was consensual. Smell. He said to me, "Oh, okay, thanks." I'm like, "Oh, what are you wearing?" He said, "I don't know." Soak. I was gonna get him to like 
dive into his bag and you know, tell me, but we were a bit you know, tight for time. Um, and so, again, it's about, it's about making a decision mm. and working out what's best for you. And sometimes it might piss off your diplomat a bit because I went on like an eight-day trip with Harry. So, like, I was away. Mm. So, I mean, he had to play the, you know, mum and dad. Mm. Then we did have a housekeeper, so that was you know, helpful. But, um, you know, sometimes the spouse's role can take a bit more time than the officer's role. And that's a bit, bit of an interesting it, when it, it happens it, it absolutely it absolutely can be and i think it goes down to that point of this being a partnership mm. um and often you know having having you know had both both roles in mm. my diplomatic life being mm. the posted officer and the accompanying significant other mm. um the sometimes the employer is absolutely fine very accommodating mm. yep you know it's life mm. later in the career mm. that the employer got like really good yeah. really good very understanding yeah. yep no you can't yeah. do that meeting because you know yeah. um like your your wife is away and you've mm. got to go home and mm. parent mm. um absolutely fine mm. like earlier in the posty like mm. in the like you know all no mm. you would get the lecture about how much of a privilege mm. and an honour it is. Um, and I still I still feel to this day um, shame mm. and regret mm. uh, that I, you know, for not I didn't I've never missed the boys' birthdays. Mm. However, um, there's always been stuff going on on those days mm. that has essentially consumed my mental space, mm. Mm. which meant that when I was there, I wasn't really there. Yeah. And or I was like flying away on the on yeah. the night of their their birthdays yeah. to go do work on the next day, yeah. rather than now going mm. no, mm. I might miss the first morning of your conference, yeah. but I'm flying up the next morning yeah. so I can spend time with my and kids. I think that's been the redeeming feature about the way that the workplace has evolved and even diplomacy to a certain extent is that um, you know. Life and family has to be the most important thing. Same shit, different uh, same country. Shit, different different mm. country. And and like my um, my partner could say, my wife is logistics director for Prince Harry's visit to South Africa. Yeah, I kind of have to be at home because she's with Prince Harry on his official visit to South Africa. Eating Prince Harry's nuts. Yeah. Eating his nuts at the at the Oyster Box Hotel in Durban, a gorgeous hotel. Shout out to it, fantastic hotel. Um, gorgeous hotel, when White in, House out the front, beautiful. Um, when in Durban. When in George, Durban. Georgie chooses to stay. The Oyster Box. Um, um, if you're from the Oyster Box and you want to, like, throw some money my I'll way. i come back because I love your hotel so much. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of kudos on... Him because I essentially couldn't disappoint two um, um, embassies. Mm. I was working for the Brits. I could not embarrass them. I was connected to the Australian. I couldn't embarrass them. So like the pressure was doubly hard. And and in the end, it's the same royal family for both countries. Exactly, it's perfect. Um, so again, that decision making and carving a space out f for your 
self. I was very lucky that I started event management, for one of the better word, um, in the ministerial visit space in 1991, mm-hmm. 92. Um, and so I did ministerial visits and visits for the Joint Committee for Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade, all that stuff. So that's where I'm like, oh, I'm actually not bad at this. Yeah. And then I got lumped into ship visits, which mm. I turned out to be spectacularly fantastic at. And then I did some weird shit when I came back in between that post in you know, Canada. I did event management professional. I did event management at school. I did it professionally. I came back and I was doing a conference and then I got pregnant. I couldn't do the conference anymore. And then I ended up in immigration as a public affairs officer using a bit of that skill and then it kind of got bounced around doing like engagement stuff and then um and then in turkey um everybody who had any type of experience was often pulled into anzac day yeah so so i did that and i also which is which is australia and new zealand's uh equivalent of remembrance day Day, memorial day Day, yeah so late 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 Um, um, april and then i also did some visits whenever we had ministers in town and then of course Pretoria hit the nail on the mm. you know proverbial head when I did Harry's visit and William Hague's visit and I did Royal Family and then coming back um coming back in early 2017 um you know I actually got a job in the Department of Immigration now the Department of Home Affairs managing international visits into Australia so yep. like senior ministerial slash departmental visits so I did like in our first year I did like 45 visits and then we did conferences and meetings so I actually applied my 30 something years or whatever it was of diplomatic experience finally I had a job that used what I'd learn and i'm like bugger me it can actually happen but then of course my life is tilted on like an axis yeah ever since then and i actually find myself monday starting a new job in the department of defense working in the air domain space but i'm going to be doing industry engagement because if it's not event management it's engagement for um, me and i will be doing some event management aspects as well so i'm getting my hand back into where i'm comfortable and where i can best can Tribute, some hard decisions have been made for me over the past couple of, you know, years. My health hasn't been the best. I've had, what, a couple of shoulder surgeries Mm -hmm. and knee surgeries and wrist surgery and I'm not married anymore and all I'm still married technically, but that's beside the point. Um, But I'm still making decisions. I'm still... um, I'm still continually marveling and reveling in my ability to be resilient yeah and that is what 30 years of doing this shit has taught me and um and how to not let little things disrupt me um how to depend on myself and and then like how to actually ask for help when things don't go right and that's mm. the thing i really learned because when you're on your first posting compared to when you're on your fourth like i was i was the person that people would come to yep. for advice because i've been there done that same shit different country um and i still do that to this day um you know i've 
learnt to ask for help. It took me a long time because I come from a family where my parents are the ones who are, who are asked for help. You're the helper. Not yeah, the I'm the helper. I'm not the helpy. But now I'm actually learning to go, yeah, I'm not feeling good. And that's, again, 30-something years in the bank of all this experience have taught me how to be who I am and then to take the experience that I've learnt and craft it into this ridiculous piece of hot mess, <laughs> fabulousness that you have across the other side of the table. Awesome human. Um, it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's, um, the diplomatic life has taught me a hell of a lot about people but also about myself. And and someone actually, like, said to me months ago, I wish I had have met you 30-something 30, 30 years ago. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 no. I am who I am because of my previous 30-something yeah. years. And that's been the most valuable experience of all. I think, as I said in my piece, I know who I am mm. now. It took me a long time to get here, but I actually know who I am. And whilst things haven't quite turned out the way I'd hoped, I really wouldn't change it for the world. They, cha- they, they turned out for how you needed. Yeah. I mean, look, sometimes they didn't have to <laughs> – I didn't have to need the shit all that much. <laughs> I, I would have preferred to have needed some things less. Yeah. But um, the diplomatic spouse life taught me to be resilient and to meet challenge head on and to trust my instincts and to trust my – Self and as I said to someone yesterday, having like quite a few reds, um, I make a decision. I make a fucking decision. <laughs> that's what I said to her. I said I make a fucking decision, and I do. Yeah. And that's what the diplomatic life has taught me: be true to myself, make a fucking decision, and run with it. Love it. Um, and because we can linger at that crossroads, mm. we yeah. can linger at, and and we can keep on wanting to make this safe. We keep on keep on we keep on wanting to make the safe decisions yeah. uh, until every other like the the, the choice is, the only choice that we're faced with is the thing that we have avoided for yeah. a very long time anyway. Yeah, because like I changed jobs because I was having a talk. I've had a bit of an existential crisis the past few months. Listener, I fell at work twelve months ago. I've wrecked both my hands. I had like surgery on one of them a couple of months ago. It's taking time to heal. I've not worked full time since the 26th of November because I've been trying to get my hands working again. I only work four days a week. It's very annoying. It's very frustrating. So I've not been able to contribute to my best ability. Fortunately, I work with a man I've worked with for a long time knows what I'm capable of and about five or six weeks ago I went into his office and said look I'm done I am doing nothing of any value here for you and for me and I can't be somewhere where, where, where I don't think I'm making a contribution this is I'm holding up my hand <laughs> um this is absolutely the hand is in a brace listener held back my ability to actively contribute mm. And so I said to him, I need to do something else. I mean, also the psychological removal from the place where I actually fell is also important to me too. And so they shot my CV around to like a few people. And so I mean, I'm I'm formally in the C space. I'm now Mm -hmm. 
going to the airspace and as I told my soon to be new boss the only thing I know about planes is what I learned in Top Gun which isn't the right thing to say volleyball yes. anyway volleyball and whatever else it is they do um there's planes there's planes apparently volleyball. um and mm. stuff and choppers and whatever I don't know they go yeah. I don't know anyway and um and so a part of me is like oh my god but my current place is about do this that and the other and then I'm like no no I need that. I need to make a decision to start again. Yeah. I've started again so many times. So many times. After each posting, I've started again. After my marriage, I'm starting again. Yeah. I'm just starting again. I'm, I'm forever starting again, but I don't mind except I will not go into the whole 50 for and I'm being overlooked for people yeah. 15 years younger than me but that, that i'm kind of past that now i still have those nervous ticks when i yeah. see you know 12 year olds getting uh, getting up but um but it's that i'm still i still marvel at my ability to go oh fuck it i'm yeah. just gonna do it i mean there's a calculated risk i am a risk taker i try and calculate the risk but sometimes I'm like, but then again, it comes to comes down to being brave enough to make a decision. I, I have to say, we, we, we will need to, to, to wrap this up, but that bravery, mm. that bravery I know, mm. and I said this at the beginning, at, sorry, at the end of, of the second episode, where mm. like of our first chat, <clears throat> and I said the courage is contagious. Mm. And I want to let you know that both like, personally mm. like you know just sort of me being me and not the lonely diplomat like mm. your courage is contagious your courage always keeps on inspiring me i'm glad it does because i wish it would inspire me a lot more <laughs> than it does it always it always <laughs> feels that way yeah it always feels that way um but the other thing is i still get feedback from uh from from the the audience uh, uh around the world yeah about what we like what you share Line that down um what you what you wrote and i published back in uh february 2019 and then what we recorded and uh what i dropped uh in april 2019 mm. just to let you know mm. your courage has an impact mm, i'm glad it does your courage i don't know what the impact will be from this episode but, you know, I know that someone somewhere is sitting in a house and they may or may not have a child, mm. children, they might have a pet or they might be sitting in their apartment all alone and their diplomat has gone to work and he's mm. having, you know, the time of their life and, mm. and things and they're sitting at home lonely. Mm. You've said a couple of times today, and I, I, I just sort of wanted to say this as well, that, you know, you, you found yourself at different times feeling depressed. Mm. Um, it's interesting. I'm finding this, and I've been saying this a couple of times uh, in social media content on The Lonely Diplomat, how, how easy it is, easier it is to say that I'm feeling anxious mm. and I'm feeling or and or feeling depressed. Mm. It's easier to say that I'm taking anti-anxiety medications. Mm. It's easier, not easy, easier to say that I'm, you know, on antidepressants, mm. whatever it might be. Mm. You know, anxiety and depression, 
you know, it still takes courage to, mm. to, 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 to live with that, to, to, you know, to, to continue to function absolutely. Yeah. But I did specifically ask about, you know, did you feel lonely? Mm, absolutely. And, 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 and I, want, I want that person who's sitting, sorry, Georgie, I'm sitting in, uh, who's sitting in their house right now listening to this, who is going, you know, I'm actually feeling really sad. Mm. I'm feeling um, isolated. I need connection. I feel empty. I feel a void. I feel all this. You're dancing around the one word that mm. is common with all of those feelings, yeah, and that's lonely. Absolutely. And I'm here for you. Yeah. But also, so so the the impact of you you sharing that right now, mm. I, I I don't know what that's going to be, but I really hope, listener, that if you are finding yourself in this situation, mm. that you know that you're not alone, mm. and there is help here absolutely but also too i wanted to say that i can't stress enough the value of the fact that the internet has evolved yes now i mean you can go online and talk to anybody anywhere about anything at any time of the day yep and that doesn't make it any less awful but it's just like hang on i now have access to stuff that can help me there are fewer barriers there are way fewer barriers but then the first barrier is actually saying it out loud i'm lonely in canada i was lonely yep so lonely yep yep and then i actively chose to make a decision to a learn something and then b to stop being lonely how do i do that oh i go back to school Mm. Mm. i wasn't lonely Mm. any more but then you have to live in that loneliness to sort of work out what it means to you and sort of ideas that you can um come up with to not feel lonely Mm. but it's um i mean it's yeah it's easier inverted commas to do with it now because we have access but it doesn't stop from being any less awful. No, loneliness is awful. Yeah, it's but it's meant awful. to be. It's meant to be temporary. Yeah, absolutely. And my and my God, Canada. I was not lonely after I did this, and in and in like Ankara, I wasn't lonely. Mm. I mean, occasionally you go through your bouts of you miss your family and stuff, but there was always someone I could speak to. There's always someone who'd do something with me. Pretoria was probably my most non-lonely post, but you know, I was still having marriage problems, all that stuff. Different story, but. But that being same, said, it's same shit, different country. Same shit, different um, um, country. And I think it's important to acknowledge, regardless of where you are, yep. shit can be good, but shit can also be really bad and lonely. And and pretending that it's not there, yeah, is just rubbish yep. and bad for the soul. Last point that I wanted to say. So, don't know what the impact is going to be mm. of of this episode. But I do know the impact of your blog post and the first episode. So I did share that I still get feedback. Oh, good. But uh, as of yesterday, when I sat down and had a look at this, and I was writing out some some notes um, to 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 prep. As much as I can prep for a conversation with you, like I was just <laughs> like, I go on a wild tangent. I, I'm just gonna like let you go, uh, Ooh, and because I know smells nice. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Harry's nuts, yeah. uh, and and you know I just know that we're going to just have a rollicking conversation um, over a big pot of tea. Um, 
the blog, your blog, has been read 2,000, almost 2,500 times. Really? My mm-hmm. God. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. All around the world. So there, there is audience in uh, around 200 countries. Yeah. And every so often, like not because of I'm, you know, publishing it on socials or whatever, but there's a run on it. Right. Someone finds it. And it's clear to me that someone finds it and then goes, oh, my God, this is amazing, mm-hmm. shares it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over the course of a few days, few weeks, yep. like a couple of hundred people more would read it. Yeah. Right? So it's one of the highest performing um, uh, blog posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it is the highest – episode two mm-hmm. is the highest rated uh, podcast episode. Really? Out of the 51 others <gasps> – yeah, and it's been listened to almost a, a thousand times. Really? That's yeah. amazing. So uh, over like 52 episodes, been about 25, 26,000 listens. Yeah. And our conversation for episode two, uh, in your awesomeness and my, um, you know. Fortune to be in my awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my learning how to do this podcasting thing. Um. Well, yeah, almost uh, a thousand uh, listens, just shy of a thousand mm. listens, um, That's and amazing. it's the highest number of listens. And like, I just know, mm. like you, like throwing, not necessarily throw, like disrupting, mm. like throwing a stone in a pond mm. or like beating a like the crap out of a timpani drum, mm. like that's reverbing still well, around really the world. To know. During COVID, post-COVID, getting back to whatever new normal is, mm. the good days, the bad days, all of that kind of stuff for thousands of diplomats mm. and those living the diplomatic life all around the world. That's really good to know. The impact thing, is real. Because that's one thing I do see as I'm edging towards the last six or seven years of my career. What's actually pretty important to me is leaving behind help and advice so people can learn from my mistakes or learn from my experience because um i've got i've had a lot of weird experiences but i'd love for people to have it a little bit easier than i did even though through the lack of ease at times came insurmountable fun yeah um at times it was pretty horrible Mm -hmm. and i really hope that for those who come after us, things can be a little bit more manageable. But I think, you know, with technological advances and the way that we work being altered by COVID, I'm hopeful that loneliness will start to be less and less of an issue for people because they'll have resources such as you, know, you to actually reach out and help them to work through it because it's an incredibly important thing. As mm. you said, we are subject to the human condition mm-hmm. yep you can be you can be working on the most you know even like me here working on like a massive multilateral conference with like people from 60 countries and i i came home lonely as hell yep i mean my marriage was yep. breaking down which didn't help but i felt so lonely and that's when decisions were made and I haven't looked on back. Rock but rock bottom was hit. But the mm. rock bottom, and I've hit rock bottom a couple of times. Um, we all do if we're living life. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's what I think I find my role in life now is to lay the path for those that come after me because it was a fabulous 
life and I would do it all over again, even with the shit bits. And I'd still eat Harry's nuts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that, uh, and and one more William Hague's head uh, God, reference. the dude smelled fantastic. I don't know <laughs> when he was on, but it was beautiful. And he said to me, oh, thank you. Thank you for saying so, Georgie. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the restraining order, uh, you know, care I called him Mr. Hague and dude's like three, three, like four years older than me. And I said, and I said I'm not going to call you Mr. Hague. I'm going to call you William Hague. He said, oh, that's all right. <laughs> Because I'm Australian, I can do that. (laughs) So, Georgie, it's just been like a privilege and an honour to have a chat with you over the kitchen table today. Mm. And not only that, but to create the space for you to to create your legacy Mm. again. It's a privilege and an honour. Privilege and an honour to like sit here with you. But, you know, frankly, I love you heaps. Like, I love your guts. You're awesome. And <laughs> I, I do... I love your guts occasionally, I want to... I want to... I didn't even get to go back to that question um, about the, uh, um, like, the connection to food. Yeah. Uh, and, and using food as connection to being, like, to where you have been in the world. Yes. But you've given me content, uh, idea for further content. Yeah. So let's have a chat about that afterwards. But yeah. Georgie... Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking about my favourite subject, me. Yep, it's, it's one of my favourite subjects too, <laughs> talking about you. And, um, yeah, until next Thank time. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun to speak to the lonely diplomat. It is, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Georgie. Bye, Phil. I'm not even quite sure how to wrap this up. So I think everything really was said during that conversation and what an awesome conversation. That was an enormous pot of tea that Georgie and I shared over our kitchen table here in Canberra. And I want to say that the important thing for me there, and I really want to underline it, like amongst all of the goodness and wisdom that was that conversation, you're not alone. If you're finding yourself sitting in your apartment, in your house, and your significant other who is a diplomat is off doing fantastic things at work and you're feeling isolated, you're feeling alone, you're feeling lost and, yep, you're feeling lonely, know that you're not alone, not alone now, not alone ever. The diplomatic community is its own best source of support and you don't know that. You don't know that until you too summon the courage to go, I need some help. Remember, I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to challenge and inspire you as you live your diplomatic life through my mentoring services and through the Diplomatic Life Restarter course. All of that can be found through the website, thelonelydiplomat.com. You can also reach out to me on socials. You can send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. You can also reach out on socials or send me an email um, if you've got any comments or feedback or you know thoughts on, on this episode or future content, I'm right here. I'm right here. That does sound like you're getting ready to go. Thank you so much for joining me and Georgie for this conversation at around our kitchen table over this mammoth po- uh, pot of tea. So until next time, stay awesomely and humanly you because the world really does need more you.
All sounds used are freeware in the public domain. All views expressed in this episode are my own and do not reflect any official position. I am not a licensed mental health professional. I encourage you to seek the services of a licensed mental health professional if the content of this episode challenged you beyond your current capacity to mentally, emotionally, and or physically respond yourself. Thanks for listening.